right. The woman that led the Bible study had been praying. And after she said amen, she looked up and she looked across the room and she saw this little boy and she said, the Lord wants to heal somebody through you today. And the whole room was astonished by these words and it was kind of like, what is going on here? But nobody was more <laughs> taken off guard than this shy and secure little guy who she was pointing at. And he was thinking she couldn't possibly be pointing to him, so he turned around to look behind him, but there was nobody there. And she confirmed that she had meant him, and she asked the room if there was anyone else who, anyone in the room who was suffering from some kind of physical ailment or some kind of uh, injury. And this younger boy raised his hand, and he talked a little bit about some issues he was having with his back and his legs, and she motioned for him to join her over by this little boy who she'd pointed at. And as, as he held the other boy's feet, he prayed for God to heal him. And guess what? That's exactly what God did. Like physically, right there in front of his eyes, God healed this other little boy. And that day, both boys received the gift the one received the gift of a healing in his body and the other one received the gift of encountering and experiencing the living God at work in power right in his own hands. And I was that little boy that prayed for the other little boy. And it, it's been such an incredible experience that honestly throughout my whole lifetime, I know it's like in fifth grade, the times when I felt the lowest, when, I, when my faith was wavering, when the times when I was like, God, are you really even there? He reminds me of that day when I got to pray for someone and see God change this little boy's life. But guess what? Since that day, I've probably prayed for hundreds of people for healing in their body. And guess what? The most of them, they didn't get healed. At least not physically, not in front of me, not so I could tell. And as far as I know, um, you know, maybe God did something internally. Maybe God did something eventually. But right there in that moment, I didn't see it happen. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that. But sometimes when we pray, it seems like the miracle doesn't happen. Have you ever wondered why God does miracles sometimes? But then other times, not so much? If we're not careful, we can get caught thinking of God. I know we don't want to get there where we start thinking of God as this, this mighty being who kind of exists to make our lives better. Somebody who sort of makes sure that we don't feel too much pain or, you know, uh, everything kind of goes better. We, you know, uh, everything works out, all the bills get paid and, and uh, we get that good parking spot and our hair looks good. And you kind of feel like God's a little bit like you could put him in a little bottle and rub it and, and then God would come out and answer our prayers like a genie. And that's not who God is. That's not how he responds. In fact, Jesus one time, after he had been uh, after he had fed thousands of people on the hillside and people were saying, do another miracle, do another miracle. This is his response to those who had asked him to perform another miracle. So Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs 
But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Do you hear what he said there? Don't waste your time. Don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Instead, spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. And today, we're going to look at three miracles, right? That's what the title of this series is. We're going to look at three miracles. And God definitely is a God who does miracles. But I want us to see these, and I think it's important that we see these in how God worked through these miracles in people's lives. That the miracle was not really the whole focus. That really his focus was making a difference in these people's lives. And, and I hope that we can take Jesus' words to heart and seek the eternal over the temporary. Before we start, let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much, God, that you have called us together, that God, you've gathered us in this room uh, to worship you, to sing about um, just your name and, and the glory and the power that you have, and, and even that longing for the day when, when we will stand or, or bow in your presence, Lord, and say the words, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Lord, thank you for that glimpse. And Lord, I pray today that we would be able to hear what you want to say to us. Lord, give us not just, um, you know, a little bump in our day, but God, truly, I pray that you would transform our hearts and uh, help us to, to grow from this, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 4. I know you all read there all the time. So um, it's right after 1 Kings. It's right before First Chronicles. And um, if you want to turn to Second Kings chapter 4, you can go there. If you, if you uh, need to turn to the table of contents, do it, okay? Or just look it up on your phone, Second Kings chapter 4. So we're going to look at this first miracle, and we're going to see how God cares for this family and see how that applies to us. It says, one day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, my husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. This is the definition of a bad day. I mean, of a crisis in her family, right? I mean, she's recently widowed and she's in debt up to her eyeballs and there's no way to pay it off. And now the creditor is coming to collect now. You ever had those phone calls? Where it's like, right now. Get your credit card and figure out a way. You're going to pay right now. And he's threatening. It says the creditor has come threatening to take my two, my two sons as slaves. So not only has she just lost her husband, but the creditor is trying to take away her sons. He's threatening to force this woman to give them up and she has come to the man of God to see if he can save her family and Elisha responds with compassion and I love how he responds he just simply says what can I do to help you what can I do to help you what a great way to respond when we meet somebody who's in crisis when we meet somebody who's going through the storm of the lifetime what a great thing to say, what can I do to help? 
Not try to preach at them, not quote a bunch of things at them, not try to guilt them and why you, you brought this on yourself, brother, or whatever, but to say, what can I do to help? And I love how next he says this, and this is kind of an interesting question. He asks, Elisha asks, tell me what do you have in your house? And I don't know what he's asking that for. Maybe he was thinking she could have a garage sale or something. I mean, but actually I think he knew what was going to happen. And her response to him confirms her situation. She says this, nothing at all except a flask of olive oil. That's not a lot. (laughs) you imagine if your house was basically, maybe she'd already had a garage sale. All that's left is a flask of olive oil. Olive oil comes from, get ready for this, olives. And, um, but the process for getting the oil out of the olives is kind of a violent process. It takes a crushing and a pressing. And uh, when, when I got to go to Israel, they, they took us to this, this replica of a, of a village in Nazareth. And, and there's a, this, these, these olive presses. They have one there that actually works. And um, it's, it's an incredible thing. They have to press the olives three times. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. So the first pressing, the olive oil that comes from that is used for the temple. It's used because it's the purest, it's the cleanest. And so they use that, it's dedicated to the temple. The second pressing produces the oil that is used for cooking. Because it's still pretty good. And you know, you can deal with a few little chunks of olives in there. So that's what they use the second pressing for. The third pressing is for the lamps. So it's the fuel for the the lamps to burn, to have light in biblical times. And you look at the pictures, I don't know if you you see these pictures, especially the next one, and you see this, this kind of place where they would put the olives in and this huge stone would roll around and just, you can imagine, just smash the oil right out of those olives. And it made me think about this woman and think about, you know, that's exactly what she has been facing with her own experience. That she has been crushed and she had been um, pressed. And so I wonder, if, uh, I wonder if you can relate to that. You know, she thought that she knew the end of her story was, was probably not going to go too well. But God was going to, just like we sang this morning, God was going to turn things around. And Elisha knew that that was going to be happening and, and he was going to write a new ending to her story. So look what happens next. It says, Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and your neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Chances are she had some empty jars. She didn't have much, but she might have had some empty jars. And then he's like, no, that's not going to be enough. You need to go to your neighbors. You need to go to your friends. Get all of these empty jars. Well, we're living in a time at this point where they were in this, you know, this time of need, this time of famine. And so there were probably a lot of empty jars. And, um, you know, they look kind of like the, these earthen jars that, that we saw in, in, um, in Jerusalem. And it's like, can you imagine those just sitting around and they're, you know, an empty jar can't do much. Doesn't really feed a family, doesn't provide for a family. And I think sometimes we get into those times in our lives and we feel like that's kind of what representative of our life. We're just sort of empty. 
just sort of sitting there. It's like, what, what are we going to do with this? And I want you to know that sometimes in that moment, we could recognize that God has something in store for us that we have no idea about. We see our lives and we think we're just an empty jar. But who knows what God could fill that with? This morning, you took communion together. And I don't know if any of you, I, I doubt that any of you thought, you know, I'm going to save this cup. This is this is priceless cup. It's just a plastic cup, right? And you would think it has no value at all except for what it contained. And so you might look at your own life and think, I'm kind of like that cup or I'm kind of like one of these jars. I'm not really worth a lot. I, there's not a lot of good there. But understand that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the savior of the world desires to dwell inside of you, inside of your life. So regardless of what the outside is, what you put in it is what makes it valuable. So, he's, so, so she goes and she, and she gathers, you know, they start gathering all these, all these jars. And um, this is preparation for the miracle. Sometimes God calls us to do that, to get things ready. He, he tells her, pour olive oil from your flask into the jar, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. I love that. Miracles often follow obedience. And that's exactly what she did. She followed what God had told Elisha to tell her. She obeyed and she saw the miracle. But, you know, what, what do you think she was thinking at that point? She probably was thinking, you know, as her boy, boys, it says in the next part, her sons kept bringing the jars to her. And, and she probably was looking going, you know, this flask with all those jars. So, like, I'm going to be pouring out into one. And it's not even going to fill one. What are the rest of the jars for? Wouldn't you have thought that? Like, what am I going to do with this? But it says her sons kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. And she says, bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. And there aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. Which is great because in a Disney movie, it would have just kept going, you know. It would have flowed out of the house and down the street. And people would have been surfing on this big, you know, wave of olive oil. But that didn't happen because God's not Disney, thankfully. Um, so it stopped at just the right time. God provided the perfect amount. Have you ever experienced that sometimes where God is just enough? He makes it just in time. Sometimes we think he's late and he arrives just in time. And then it says what's great that happened after this. So they had done this, remember, behind closed doors. Elijah had told her, go inside with your sons with these jars and close the door. Why do you think he said that? I wonder if it was because this was something God wanted to do just for them. And it wasn't meant to be this, this spectacle, this display for the whole neighborhood to see. God wanted to, this family that was hurting because the father had died and, and everything, all the pressure that they'd been under. He's like, go inside, close the door. This is just for you. And I want you to hear that too because some of us have been through all kinds of pressures and all kinds of just turmoil in our life. And sometimes God wants us just to go by ourselves to a private place and just be with him. Just see what he'll do. So the olive oil stopped. And then it says, when she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now, sell the olive oil 
and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on what is left over. I mean, this family's circumstances were rough. But in the middle of all that, they got to see God's heart. They got to see who God is. Even when they felt like they were getting pulled apart. You ever been there? Felt like their family was literally going to be shredded. And yet God stepped in and made it so they could be one. So if you have something that you're writing on, you can write this. I think on your note-taking sheet, it's actually already filled in for you. You're welcome. You can circle it or something. God's desires, God desires to strengthen my family. You can say that about yourself, your family. No matter how it is in your family right now, maybe you're just like soaring high, and that's great. Maybe you're going through something. And the reality is, is that God desires to strengthen your family. You think about what would have happened to this family if God hadn't shown up. Put yourself in the place of this struggling mother and her two sons and know that God can turn your struggle into an opportunity to see his heart. I mean, he can turn our doubt into a downpour and, and, and you know, but, but, but what else does this tell us about God? tells us that he cares about this family. He cared enough about this woman and her sons that he made it possible for them to stay together. Think about it. Elisha could have said, good, put those boys to work, you know? <laughs> They've been sitting around playing Nintendo too much. They need to get out there and do something, you know? But that's not what happened, is it? Well, why not? Because God knew exactly what that would do to this widow and her sons. He knew that it, that it was more than about the oil, that it was really about their family. And he, he was able to relieve stress. He was able to make their home into a refuge again where they could grieve together and heal together. That couldn't have happened if the sons were sent off and she was left all alone. But God made that happen because as it says in Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Have you ever been crushed? Has your family ever needed a rescue? You know, the costs have gone up, but the pay hasn't. Fear and anxiety are suffocating. Diagnosis feels like a hopeless situation. Marriage feels like it's missing something. Addiction keeps pulling you down. Just get some news that cause confusion and kind of feeling a little bit empty like those pots. Any circumstances that, that crush your spirit and weigh on you and make you feel as though God is far away. The truth is that God is closer to you in that moment than you even realize. Paul the Apostle went through similar times. There was times where he had next to nothing. And in his letter to the believers in Philippi, he assures them, assures them that the same God who cares for him cares for them as well. And you know what? He cares for us too. Listen to this. The same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. 
So in those times of crushing, look for opportunities for God to show up, for God to bring strength and provide in ways that maybe you just never could have seen coming. Maybe you're, you need to know this today that God wants to do a work in your family. He wants to strengthen you to, to make your bond stronger, to bring healing from hurts. So that's one thing he wants to do. Another area that he wants to work on is, is kind of the circle that's around us. So kind of outside of our family, what is the support system? What is your fellowship? What is your, your life group or your Bible study or, or your accountability group or, or your small group? Let's jump down to verse 38. We're going to skip the middle story because I spoke on it a few weeks ago about the, the, the mom, the mom who, who got her son back, and we'll touch on that, but... Verse 38, it says this, Elisha now returned to Gilgal and there was a famine in the land. So he'd been in these other places, Shunem, he'd, he'd raised this boy to life. Gilgal's about, you know, 15 miles or so from Jerusalem. And when the people from Israel crossed over the Jordan, you remember that story? That they actually put 12 stones. Gilgal is that place where they, they commemorated God's miracle for them. But these times that they were in right now were not good. There was a famine in the land. There was a crisis going on. People were hungry. And we get a little glimpse of how this affected this group of prophets. It says, one day as the group of prophets was seated before him, he said to his servant, put a large pot on the fire and make some stew for the rest of the group. Seems like a good idea. Bunch of hungry prophets. I don't know what makes it different if they're prophets, but they're hungry. They're all affected by the famine too, right? So he's like, hey, let's, let's put, a, put a pot on the fire and have some stew. And, um, you know, they were probably in there learning from him, praying together, talking about how to help some people. And he tells his servant to start the water boiling. But, you know, you can't have stew with just water. So it says next that one of the young men went out into the field to gather herbs and came back with a pocket full of wild gourds, which I think would be a great name for a band, the wild gourds. But that's, never mind. Anyway, he shredded, he shredded them and he put them into the pot without realizing they were poisonous. Whoa. I hate when that happens. Do you ever open the fridge and think, I don't know what to make, but I gotta make something and there's a bunch of food in here so you just start grabbing stuff and thinking, oh, well, you know, don't usually put these together, but okay. And you just get a pot or a dish or something. I'm pretty sure that's how goulash happened the first time. It was like, let's just put it all in there and bake it and hopefully it'll be okay. That's kind of what this guy did. Let's just put it in there and hope for the best. Because he was young and inexperienced. And he heads out to gather some herbs, which I don't know if that's a euphemism for just going to find stuff to put in the water. But he comes back with wild gourds. And um, the interesting thing is, is in Israel, there's all these orchards of palm trees that grow dates. And we were told that amongst those trees, there's this bush that grows and has this beautiful fruit, it looks like, on it. But inside of it is poison. So I don't know if it was those um, I looked it up and, and uh, you know, poisonous gourds from Bible times. And this is kind of what came up. It's, it's called the uh, Citrullus colosynthus. 
I think it's going to, there it is. And um, apparently these are, these are poisonous. They're commonly called the bitter cucumber. And um, yeah, so I, we don't have maybe those here, but we have things that are very closely related. You guys ever seen these around along the highways? We grew up calling these pie melons. I asked somebody else what they call them in their family, and he's like, the melons that grow on the side of the ditch bank. I was like, that's not a name. That's a description. So, um, and I don't think this is poisonous, but I just like the look of it. So when you look at these, you know, you got a little close-up picture of that. You think, oh, those look pretty safe, right? I mean, it looks like a little watermelon, and it looks like some kind of squash or something. It should be fine, right? So, but you can't tell if they're poisonous or not, right? But if you turn them around and look at the other side, you, you tell right away. These are not good melons. This is not what you want to be eating. Don't put these in any stew. And if anybody wants these after the service, come and see me. So, poisonous gourds. I'm thinking that this is... Um, uh, just imagine for a second if you were that guy, if you were that young man, went out and got these gourds, and you're thinking, yes, we are going to eat tonight. Never mind there's a famine in the land, and if they were good, they probably would have already been picked up, right? There's all these melons, there's all these gourds out here. I wonder why nobody's gotten them. Well, isn't it funny, though, sometimes how inexperience can be deadly, and how something that looks so appetizing at first is actually poisonous. Sometimes that's a relationship. Sometimes that's a, an action that we take or, or something, some kind of business venture. Sometimes it looks so good or it's that person or it's that, that you know, that boat that we have to have. Or whatever it is that think, oh, I, I need that. Not knowing sometimes what it comes with. Evil is often disguised as something good. And he shredded them and he threw them in the pot. And he didn't realize his mistake. And think about what's happening here. It's more than just some bad stew. Think about who he's feeding. This is his life group. This is his support system. This is his, his Bible study. Is there anything worse than a cook who poisons their guests? If there is, please tell me, because I can't think of anything worse that could possibly happen. It says some of, the, some of the stew was served to the men. But after they had eaten a bite or two, they cried out, Man of God, there's poison in this stew. Which I think it would be great if you yell that out the next time you ate at your mother-in-law's or whatever but <clears throat> don't do that don't don't do that um it says the poison in the stew so they would not eat it which i yeah that's probably a good move at that point um when it tastes so bad that you can tell it's poisonous eh, that's probably a bad sign um but you think about this young man how would you feel um this poisonous stew that you had made. Can you believe it? Just a little aside here. That somebody, they, they, some churches actually celebrate St. Elisha's Day. And somebody came up with a recipe called Elisha's Poisonous Stew. If you want the recipe, 
I will provide that for you. But this is actually the stew, I think, yeah. And I know it looks harmless, and it supposedly is, but I don't know if I'm going to eat a stew with poison in the name. Just saying. So there's a famine. Only food in the house will kill you. Young man's probably cowering in the corner. What does Elisha do? What does God do in this situation? Elisha said, bring me some flour. Then he threw it into the pot and said, now it's all right. Go ahead and eat. Who wants to be first? (laughs) Right? I I just thought you'd throw flour in there. I don't know. That makes me automatically trust. I think we give it to Bob first, right? And we watch Bob. Okay, now I'll have some, right? You got to make sure that Bob's okay first. But anyway, I would have thought, no way am I eating this. But he says, okay, dig in. And then it says, and it did not harm them. So number two is this. God desires to feed my connections. One of the biggest enemy, one of the biggest lies the enemy tells us is you're alone. You're alone going through this. Nobody else feels what you're going through. Nobody else is going to be there for you. You have to go through this all by yourself. But God never designed us to live that way. He designed us to have connections, fellowship, support, encouragement, sometimes challenges in our lives. And God wants to feed those. He wants to nourish those. When this man almost destroyed his support system, God came in and brought him the answer that would keep them connected. So let me ask you this. When have your weaknesses made you feel alone? Paul describes our interconnectedness by comparing all of us to a body. You've heard this before, right? The body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians he says, this makes for harmony among the members so that all the members can care for each other. If one part suffers, you know, like she's suffering, right? If one part suffers, all the parts suffer. And if one part is honored, then all the parts are glad. He says this, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is part of it. So God can turn my disaster into delicacy and he can feed my connections. For miracle number number three, let's uh, let's see how God wants to help us fulfill our mission. So it says this, and one day a man from Baal, Shalisha, brought, I don't know how to say that, so I just made it up, um, brought the man of God a sack of fresh grain and 20 loaves of barley bread made from the first grain of of his harvest. So, Ba- Baal Shalisha was pretty close to Gilgal. So this guy heard, you know, Elisha's in Gilgal. I'll bring my offering, my tithe to him. And so he did that. He brought this bread and this grain. And uh, he's thinking, I'm bringing this to Elisha. You know, he'll be able to, you know, eat it and be fed, I'm sure, or whatever. But Elisha didn't see this as a meal for the prophets. Elisha saw this as a meal for this hundred people that are sitting outside. And he was led by God to feed them, but, but watch how his servant reacts to this idea. Elisha said, give it to the people so they can eat. Simple instructions, right? This is what the servant says, what? 
It says, a servant exclaimed, feed a hundred people with only this? And we know because we, we know what happened with the oil, right? We know what happened even later with Jesus and the loaves and fishes. We know that God can do these miracles, but this servant honestly reacted probably how a lot of us would have reacted, like Jesus, <laughs> Elisha, this is not enough. Same thing that Jesus' disciples said when Jesus said, hand out these loaves of fishes and bread, right? We, Tommy, Pastor Tommy talked about that last week from Matthew 15. I mean, Elisha's, it's only 100 people. It's not thousands, but still, like this little bit is not enough. God is, we need to understand that God is bigger than our doubts. He's bigger than the, the, the little that sometimes we think we have to offer. God can do more with our offer, offering than, than we can even imagine. What is our offering? It's just simply, what do you have? There's so many times throughout the Bible that God just, he didn't use what people didn't have. And this is what I, I think is so important. God isn't asking you to give what you don't have. And I'm not setting you up for another offering. <laughs> I'm just talking about in life with the people that you meet. God is saying, what do you have? He said it to the woman with the oil and he's looking at this stack of bread, loaves and this bag of grain. How many of us have said, God, this little bit will never be enough? How many times do we actually say, God, I, I am not enough? But we felt that, haven't we? And God keeps showing us over and over again, you don't understand. With me, it's more than enough. With me, you're more than enough. So Elisha repeats this, and I feel like there had to be a little bit of a tone to this because he repeats what he said. Give it to the people so they can eat. And he says, for this is what the Lord says. Everyone will eat, and there will even be enough left, there'll even be some left over. When they gave it to the people, there was plenty for all and some left over, just as the Lord had promised. So we hear Elisha's servant express his concern, probably not too different from what we would have said. And we see that God can make something out of nothing. That in the middle of this mission, the servant was sent out to, to give the food to the people. That was his mission. The little that he had was what this man had brought, but he brought that to the people. And what did God do with that? He provided for that mission. He provided for those hundred people to eat. So this is number three. God desires to empower my mission. And it's not a mission that I somehow come up with, like I, you know, I thought of this great mission that I'm gonna do. This is a mission that God has said, this is what I want for you. I mean, how many of you like fresh bread? Fresh bread, I mean, when you go into a bakery or someplace or into a kitchen where bread has just been baked, it is delicious. I want to show you, this is a, in Israel, you can buy these sesame seed bread loops and they are awesome. They're freshly baked and delicious. I hope you guys ate breakfast. Um, they come with this little packet, this little tissue thing of hyssop. You read about hyssop in the Bible and you can season the bread with that. It's so good. And I can just imagine this man bringing these barley loaves in a little plate, Elisha, along with this bag of grain. But I guarantee you, he never thought, oh, Elisha's going to pray and hear from God, and he's going to 
feed 100, 100 people with this. I guarantee you he never thought that. He was probably just thinking, oh, my crops are low this year, but you know what? I, I got to bring my first, my first fruits to the Lord. It's just something to be faithful. He was just being faithful. But to be honest, I mean, there really wasn't enough. Maybe not even enough to feed everybody in that room, let alone all the 100 people. And maybe you, you know what it's like to go without. Maybe you've been there where there's just not enough. Not enough food, not enough rent, not enough things you need. Or maybe you, you've been on the other side and you've been able to help somebody in need. That's so great to be able to experience the gratitude and the joy. Um, just like that, this miracle is about more than just God multiplying bread. It's about him making a difference in people's lives and doing that through us. The servant heard what Elisha said, but it seemed impossible. How could this feed all those people? But God had a mission for him. And this is how God made us to, to do the work he prepared for us. In Ephesians, Paul wrote this, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Who knows what God has planned for you? Who knows what God has, what mission God has in store for you and for me? God's the one who knows everything about that. Just when we think there's no way, there's no way, there's not enough, I'm not enough, that's when God can open up the miraculous. And we say no way and God says way. We wrestle with doubts, weaknesses, and our own lack, but God has more than enough. His power shows up when we least expect it. And God has called every single one of us to a mission. Every single one of us. You and I are part of his mission. We can look at our task or the problem or the big crowd and we can say, I don't have enough. Or we can lean, or we can lean more into God and see what he can do with our little bit. You think about it for a second. I'm almost done. But I just want you to, I want to ask you a question. How much bread, how, much, how many people can this bread feed? And I want to contend today that that's the wrong question. Instead, let us ask, how many can God feed with what I have? Maybe you don't have a lot. But God's saying, what's in your hand? If you're wondering about what God's desire is for you, he wants to strengthen your family. He wants to feed your connections. And he wants to empower your mission. That is God's plan. That is God's desire for you. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for calling us and for working even when we just see lack. God, you see abundance. You have an opportunity, God, at so many times when, our, when we're weak, when we're lacking, when we're struggling, God, to come in and do what only you can do. Lord, I pray for those right now in this room or listening to this message, God, that are in that place of being crushed. They're in that place of being weighed down, of being maybe even feeling like there's poison that is coming in and trying to steal away the connections that they have. God, I pray right now in this moment that you would come and cause overflowing of your, your presence, of your goodness, of your grace in their life. 
Lord, whatever that is, whatever their need is, Lord, right now in this moment, I just pray, God, would you bless and meet that need? And would you do it in a way that is abundant, that just is like, oh yeah, that's how God is. That you go above and beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. We thank you for that. We pray this with gratitude, Jesus, in your name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Would you stand? And I want to just pray a blessing over you. May you go in the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ. And may he empower you for your mission and strengthen your families and feed your connections. God bless you guys. Have a great day.